Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. In Australia, you are six times more likely to be killed in a car accident than you are at the hand of another person. But our fascination for the evils of murder continues to fuel a parade of TV shows and podcasts and amateur detectives and conversations that point the finger at likely culprits no matter the evidence. But for each of those very real homicide cases, there is a very real person given the task of piecing facts together to find out who's responsible. There's not a day that we don't uh, uh, wake up and think, is this the day that we're going to uh, crack this case? Satisfying that we've got justice, but there's no joy in the matter like this. It's just an extremely sad case. They gave me the energy to keep fighting and uh, I I will continue the fight uh, for the families. My passion for uh, finding justice for the families has not waned one iota. Today, we're going to find out just how difficult it is to catch a killer with the man who's caught some, missed some and gotten into trouble trying to expose one former homicide detective Gary Jubelin. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Over the past two decades, the homicide rate has been dropping here in Australia. From a peak in 1993 of 7.4 people per 100,000 down to 6.1 per 100,000 in 2017. Among comparable countries like France, Germany, New Zealand, Sweden and the UK, the rate of people being murdered here is quite low. Domestic incidents account for 45% of all of those deaths, acquaintances 37% and murder by a total stranger is 9% of the total number. Sadly, like in most stats here in Australia, it's heavily weighted against First Nations people, who despite only making up 3% of the population, account for 16% of all homicides. Despite the myriad of ways you're more likely to die, it's murder that motivated the 14,000 news articles written about it in the five years leading up to 2019. It's murder that captures our attention on TV shows and in podcasts. Our interest peaked further if the victim isn't found. But what goes into finding and catching a killer? And just how difficult is it when you finally do to get that person to spend any time behind bars? Someone who knows exactly how difficult it is to do just that is former homicide detective Gary Jubelin, author of the new book I Catch Killers, The Life and Many Deaths of a Homicide Detective. As the lead detective on his disappearance, Gary's name will forever be connected to his most high-profile case. The investigation into the disappearance of William Tyrrell is continuing. We'd encourage any member of the public that has information to come forward. 
but he worked homicide for decades before William Tyrrell disappeared. Some connected to seedy underworld figures, some that have seen a perpetrator locked up, and some that still wait for that piece of evidence to crack it wide open. Gary, first things first, what kind of person becomes a homicide detective? Perhaps you could say a stupid person, but uh, I didn't have any clear direction which way I wanted to go in the police. It was like opening up so many different options. But I went down the path of being a detective, so through plain clothes and then getting designated as a detective, which basically means getting qualified. And at the early stages of being a detective, you work in a local area command, so the local police station, and you investigate crimes. And during that time, I was on the peripheral of an investigation, a murder investigation. And the way that the homicide detectives went about their business, they seemed professional, they seemed to know what they were doing, and that's something that I aspired to very early in my career, and I wanted to become a homicide detective. Then once I did find my way there, it was hard to go back from investigating someone's murder because I see it as the pinnacle of criminal investigation, the responsibility of finding out who's responsible for a murder. And you've got to be prepared to make a sacrifice to be a homicide detective. It's obviously not a nine-to-five job. There's an emotional toll it takes on you, but it's also very rewarding. If you want something interesting, homicide investigation certainly provides that. You get taken into worlds that you wouldn't normally see, depending on the nature of the crime or who was murdered, who the offenders are. You get an insight into different aspects of human life. What was it like the first murder case that you worked? What was the feeling like when you got to that point where you figured out who's done this and then worked towards getting them behind bars? Very satisfying. It's a long process and, of course, it depends on the type of crime. I wouldn't even say there's a typical type of murder. We have different types of murders where police might call it a smoking gun situation where it's fairly obvious right from the start who's responsible and they can be wrapped up pretty quickly. The majority of murder investigations take a lot longer. I've worked on investigations that have taken 10 years, so it's a long process. But step by step, the first is you attend the crime scene You assess what's happened there and the longer you stay in this area of work, the more you can read from a crime scene, little signs that you can pick up. So that tells you something. And when I talk the crime scene, invariably it's where the body's been found or where the murder has occurred. Then we start a process that's often referred to as victimology. And by that, I mean finding out who the victim was, who the victim associated with and any issues in the victim's life, because invariably that leads you to the suspect's. So step by step, management of the crime scene, gathering all the clues from the crime scene, looking at who the victim is, and then looking at possible persons of interest through motive, opportunity and capability. They're three of the cornerstones that uh, I would look at when I'm, I'm trying to identify a suspect. And then the fun begins. And when I say the fun, I'm saying that's where the hard work quite often starts that you've got to gather evidence. And it's not just to show that the person's involved. The thing about homicide investigation, you've got to exclude other suspects as much as you've got to find the evidence on the person responsible for it. And that can take you into many different areas if you're doing covert techniques. Interviewing of witnesses is always important. And then you get to the stage where you think you've got enough to actually affront the person of interest. And then you get into the interview room scenario. And personally, I found that the most interesting part of being a homicide detective was sitting down in an interview room. You've prepared for it. You go in there and you ask the person questions. And more than often, they'll deny being involved in the matter. And you've got to present the facts to them and try and break their story. 
and then the day of the charge. But from a homicide detective's point of view, that's invariably where the work really begins because then you've got to compile the brief of evidence for the court. And quite often these court matters drag on for two years and you'll have highly paid defence barristers cross-examining you in the witness box about decisions that you've made three or four years ago trying to discredit you in front of a jury. And it's a very exhausting process going through the trial and I find them quite draining because everything that you've done is being scrutinised. And then the time when the jury comes back and the decision's made guilty or innocent. It's certainly a sense of relief. I won't say joy. The families that I've dealt with, they're very clear to say, look, there's nothing joyous about a murder investigation. Just because we've put the person away doesn't bring their loved one back or uh, you know, make things right. But from a detective's point of view, at least you feel like you've done your job. Is it easier to catch a killer now than, say, what it was back when you first started in the 80s with forensic technology, CCTV cameras, smartphones? Is it easier in 2020 to catch a killer? I don't know if it's easier, but I'd say it's harder to get away with a murder. Now, that sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but what I mean by that is with all the CCTV cameras around, with all the data that comes from telephones, the DNA, the forensic evidence, the improvements of that, it certainly makes it more difficult to get away with a murder. But from a homicide detective's point of view, I wouldn't say it makes it easier catching them. When I first started out homicide investigations, and I talked about victimology and examining the crime scene, we'd be looking for fingerprints. We'd be checking the home phone records, who the person has called. Mobile phones weren't even around at that stage, so you didn't have that type of data to review. So the complexities and the difficulty for detectives in this day and age is the sheer volume of information that's available to them. And where it does make it harder to get away with murder, it makes it more complicated investigating the murder. Do they get it right where it came to you and the case of you recording one of the suspects in the William Tyrrell disappearance, you think? Is that a trick question? <laughs> it's a question I, everyone wants to know when you're right. when you're investigating a murder. We think that you can pretty much do anything as long as you catch the right person, but that's obviously not yeah. the case. No, it's not the case, and I accept it, nor should it be the case. You can't do anything just to bring uh, someone to justice. The whole system would fall down if that's the case. But in regards to my particular matter, I said during my trial reason I recorded those conversations. I record them to protect my lawful interest and my position has never been to further the case against someone. It was to protect my lawful interest. Local court found me guilty. The matter's now before an appeal. And because I've put people before the courts for my entire career, I've got to accept the decision of the court. It doesn't necessarily mean I agree with it. I still maintain I had a reason why I recorded those conversations. But everyone gets their day in court. I'm having my day in court, so we'll see how it plays out. I also get asked, with the benefit of hindsight, would I record those conversations again? And I'd have to be stupid given what's happened. I've lost my career, taken off cases that were very important to me. But sad but true, if the same set of circumstances present themselves as they did on that occasion, I think I probably would record the conversations again. Will you ever be able to let go of the unsolved cases? I mean, your name is always going to be linked to William Tyrrell's for now until there is ever a result. Can you ever let those go? I can put it in perspective, but no, I'll never let it go. 
I made a commitment to William's parents, foster and biological parents, that I'd do everything possible to find out what happened to William. And because of my actions, I was taken off that case. And that is something that doesn't sit well with me. I will continue to support any investigation I've worked on, even though I'm out for the cops now, if I can help in any way. But no, I won't forget those cases, and I don't think I should. And quite frankly, I don't think society should forget the fact that the three-year-old child was abducted from their grandparents' place in a small country town, and we haven't got answers. Nor should we ever forget about what happened to Barrable, three kids living in the same street, murdered over a five-month period. These cases should never be closed, and I know there's people within the New South Wales Police that care about it, and hopefully they're continuing working on those investigations as hard as I did when I was in the police. Is there any of those cases that are still unsolved where you don't think you know what happened? In regards to William Tyrrell's case, I don't know what's happened to him 100%. I've got case theories. The matter's before the coroner. I'm hoping answers come from the inquest. If all the evidence is presented to the coroner, hopefully some answers come from that. I've got thoughts, and obviously when you run an investigation for four years, you're going to have some ideas on what might or might not have happened to William. And I've got some thoughts, but because it's before the coroner, it's not appropriate for me to say. Legally, we can't name the man that Gary Jubelin believes took William Tyrrell. But he says no matter the case, no matter the victim or the perpetrator, homicide detectives give up a part of themselves with every case they investigate. You have to make sacrifices if you're going to be a homicide detective. And when I say a homicide detective, I mean someone that lives and breathes it. And this is my personal viewpoint on investigating homicide. It's not nine to five. If you're not prepared to bleed for the job, Perhaps you should be in another line of work. And in saying that, people probably take objection to that. And what I mean by bleed for it is you've got to give part of yourself to the investigation. It's a huge responsibility to investigate someone's murder. And you make a commitment to the families that when you take over an investigation or when you're working on the investigation, you'll do everything possible. So it does take a toll on you. I look back on moments of reflection and at this stage of my career and life, I have that opportunity to look back. And I know people close to me have made sacrifices to allow me to put the energy I needed to into the investigation. So for each murder investigation I've worked on, I've learned something about myself. I've learned something about life but I've also probably lost a little bit of myself as well that you give away and you can't get back. That's all for The Quickie today. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're a parent listening to this and want to know why your kid goes through those weird stages like chucking every damn thing on the floor, check out Mamma Mia's podcast stablemate This Glorious Mess. Holly Wainwright and Andrew Datto talk through the challenges that parenting life likes to chuck at us. Check out This Glorious Mess in your favourite podcast app today.